0: just over a month we will gather together to celebrate the resurrection of our lord jesus and i do hope that you will make plans now to attend uh, with us and to worship with us and to be a part of our easter sunday celebrations it's going to be a full sunday for you early birds we'll have a 6:30 a.m. sunrise service and then we'll have an 8 o'clock service, a 10.30 service with, of course, Sunday school in between. And leading up to that Sunday, we've got a number of special events and services going on. And I would encourage you to pay attention in uh, the bulletin and other publications as you see uh, and read things about those. But beginning the, the first Sunday night of April, we'll have... Uh, an Easter series beginning and uh, some, some special guests from our community and I hope you'll make plans to attend that. We'll also have noonday services during Holy Week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. Short devotionals together and even have a Maundy Thursday PM service as we gather together to observe the Lord's Supper in the way that Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. But on that Friday, Good Friday, we observe, we remember, and we celebrate the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus in our place. And according to Scripture, according to Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 23, Jesus was crucified that day between two criminals. And we read in Luke chapter 23, the conversation that Jesus had with those criminals. It says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. A criminal who was being justly punished, justly executed next to Jesus said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today... You will be with me in paradise. Now this and other stories like this have become known as deathbed conversions. And a number of famous people have supposedly had these sort of experiences from Mickey Mantle to John Wayne. uh, Even perhaps Charles Darwin and maybe you know of others Perhaps even some within your own family have had an experience like this. And most of the time, there is no way for us to know whether such uh, an experience is uh, a legitimate experience of repenting of sin and turning to Christ, trusting in Christ for salvation. Whether it's something that somebody supposedly made up in order to comfort family members or friends. uh, Or perhaps even just a formulaic attempt to avoid Hell, just in case God is real. But is God unfairly generous to allow latecomers to the faith, those who have lived full lives of selfish pursuits and rejection of God, to have an eternal inheritance, inheritance, to experience the same reward? Same outcome, the same glory as those who have long served and lovingly worshiped and lived lives of devotion to the King. Is God unfairly generous? That is the question for us this morning. And then the popular parable of the prodigal son. The young son asked his father for his inheritance early and went away and squandered his wealth on prostitutes and wild living. And as you know, and as you could imagine, when he came home and his father lovingly welcomed him back home, showed compassion to him, the, the older brother was a bit upset. And we read the older brother's response in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 29. It says, but he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Is God unfairly generous? God represented by The father in that story to receive and to welcome and to celebrate this wild son returning home. Earlier in our service I read from Matthew chapter 20 the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And we read in that story in verse 1 that a landowner went out. To the marketplace, or to the town square, to the central square, to to find some day laborers to come and to work in his vineyard early that morning. This would not have been an uncommon practice in that day, particularly in Israel, during the time of the harvest. When landowners, when farmers needed extra hands for the day, and so they would go out and they would search for someone or several someone's to hire for the day. We read in verse 2 that he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And we learned last week that a denarius was uh, considered the appropriate wage for a common laborer. It was fair enough, not too much, but it was fair enough, enough to make a living on. Perhaps we would consider this a little bit more than minimum wage today. And so he hires these day laborers early in the morning, 6 a.m., and sends them into his vineyard to work for the day, promising to give them a denarius at the end of the day. And then we read in the rest of that story that he went back to that marketplace several times throughout the day. He went back at the third hour, which was nine in the morning. He went back at uh, noon, the sixth hour. He went again at the ninth hour at three o'clock. And then he went one final time at the 11th hour of what was considered a 12-hour work day, not counting breaks, 5 p.m., to find additional workers to come and work for the day in his vineyard. And each time he promised them to pay them whatever is right. Now we know from the last several weeks, and probably much longer than that, most of you, that Jesus told stories like this in order to invite us, invite his listeners into the story to identify with particular characters, to find ourselves thinking the things that that characters in the story would have thought, to imagine ourselves there. And, and finally, after he had invited us in, his listeners in, he would communicate to us incredible spiritual truths. And in this particular parable... The primary truth that Jesus wanted to communicate comes at pay time, and in the dialogue that followed, you've heard of pay day. We all look forward to pay day if we've got a job. But in that time, it was pay time for a pay, uh, for a day laborer because the day laborer did not know that he was going to have work the following day, and so it was the custom of the landowner of The land manager to pay his day laborers at the end of the day, 6 p.m. when evening came. So pick up the story with me again in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 20. We read that when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And the first truth that I want us to see from this particular passage of Scripture comes in the response of the laborers who were hired first. These laborers were given work early in the day. Put in their work for the day. And came in at payday expecting to be paid for the day. And they were. But when they realized that others were being paid more than their fair share of money for the day. When they received a denarius like everyone else. The text says that they grumbled Against the landowner. They grumbled against the landowner because they had what? Worked for the full day and worked during the heat of the day. They had done the most work. And if we're honest this morning, we can identify with their anger, can we not? If we were in their shoes, most likely we would expect the same thing. And the reason is, is because we are naturally competitive, envious, greedy, and proud. As human beings, as men and women, we are naturally competitive, envious, greedy, and proud. All of us have a worldview that naturally centers around ourselves. What is best for me? What is most advantageous for me? And when someone else has something, experiences something that seems to be better than what we have or experience, we tend to wonder why, do we not? When someone else has a nicer house, or a better paying job, or a better marriage, or better health, or better behaved children, or a more put together family. We tend to introspectively ask the question what did they do to deserve that more than me? And the truth is often nothing. That's the reality. That simply, they have been more fortunate or more blessed by God in certain ways that perhaps we or others have not. This me-first mentality really uh, shows itself in every age of life, but uh, particularly I think of college-age guys uh, around food. Now follow with me for just a second. A group of college guys get together on game night to watch a sporting event, and so they decide to order pizza, and they all are going to divide the the check up equally in every way and chip in their uh, few dollars, their four or five dollars, or whatever it is, to get their fair share of the food. But what inevitably happens is that the one who forgets to pay or who doesn't chip in as much as everyone else eats the most food. Does he not? And then someone else is sitting back spitting fireballs under his tongue because somebody else is getting more food than he is when he didn't pay as much as I did. Or if you can't relate to that experience, then imagine yourself out on the highway in traffic. And there's a bottleneck because a lane is closed ahead. And there are those drivers that even though everybody else seems to recognize I need to get over in the appropriate lane, go all the way to the end of the lane to where the cones are, and then try to cut in front of everyone else so that they can avoid the delay and inconvenience. Now, if you are one of those drivers, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) But the flip side of that is even... The attitude that I just conveyed is a bit self-centered and prideful. Because we get angry when someone else doesn't have to experience the same inconvenience, the same discomfort, the same delay that we do. And that's just like the the laborers in this vineyard who were hired early in the day. They were upset because the others didn't have to work all day. They didn't have to do as much work. They didn't have to work in the heat of the day. Jesus got to the heart of this me first mentality in a question that he asked in verse 15. He said, are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? The literal translation here is Is your eye evil because I am good? And that's an idiom in the day for, for jealousy. And the biblical truth is that we are all self-centered and proud, greedy, envious, competitive at the core. And we get upset when others experience more than we do, more good, more success, more money, more goodness, even more generosity. That's because we're used to thinking of things the way that the world thinks about things, used to looking at life the way that the world teaches us to look at life, We should all get in return for what we give. And in equal proportions. We look at life through a reward for services rendered worldview. But the truth according to God's word is that God looks at life in a totally different way. That he operates in a different way. God operates on the grace system. God operates on the grace system. Look back at... Chapter 20 of Matthew's Gospel, beginning in verse 13. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? the landowner in this particular story, in this particular parable, represents God and gives out of His abundance. Not treating anyone unfairly and even giving beyond what they deserved. And the truth is, in God's kingdom, no one receives less Than they deserve. No one receives less. Than they deserve. No one. Gets ripped off. No one gets. Shortchanged. No one experiences. The wrath of God. That doesn't deserve to experience. The wrath of God. But the truth is just a cursory. Glance of scripture reveals that. All are deserving of the wrath of God. All are deserving of the judgment of God. All deserve the wages of sin, which is death. And the punishment of the omnipotent, omnipresent, almighty, perfect, holy, righteous creator of the universe. And so no one gets shortchanged. No one gets... Less than what they deserve in God's kingdom, and many receive far more than they deserve. Many receive far more than they deserve. And those that were hired in this parable at 9 o'clock, and at 12 o'clock, and at 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock received far more than they deserved for their day of work. Because the landlord, the master, Chose to be generous out of the goodness of his heart. The truth is that we serve a God. Who is compassionate and merciful and good and loving. And gives out of the goodness of his heart. And the truth is everyone in God's kingdom. Every servant of the King receives far more than they deserve. Even those in this story that were hired at the beginning of the day were hired out of the grace of the landlord. Let's be honest. Truth be told, we we are much better off that God operates on a grace system. Because apart from the grace of God, every one of us would not only deserve but would receive The judgment of God. None of us would receive the wages of good services rendered because we've all missed the mark. All of us would receive the wages of sin, which the Bible says clearly is death. But out of the grace of God, the gracious character of the King creator the landlord of the universe he has extended salvation to those who trust in the name of jesus for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 as for you Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing that we can do to be good enough in the eyes of God. We don't do good works in order to to gain from God. Instead, the works that we do, the devotion that we show, is in response to the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. Who has saved us from our sin. And that leads us to the final point that I want to see from want us to see from this passage this morning, and that's that God desires service out of gratitude and not out of entitlement. God desires service out of gratitude. And not out of entitlement. Look back at verse 16. Jesus said, so the last will be first. And the first will be last. And Jesus said this particular saying on multiple occasions. In fact, he said it just before this parable as well. It provides the context for this story that Jesus told to his followers. So back up with me real quickly to the end of chapter 19 of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 19 beginning in verse 27. Peter answered him, talking to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man, talking about himself, sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So Peter comes to Jesus. He asks him, what will we receive for... For giving up everything in order to follow you. To learn from you. To devote our lives to you. Will it be worth it? Will it pay off in the end? And Jesus' response is. It will pay off to the nth degree. But even so. That is not why you follow me. That is not why you obey me. That is not why you. Devote your life to me. And those that that do, that simply outwardly serve the Lord in order to receive something solely for themselves in return have missed it. And because they have missed it, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But on the contrary, those that have recognized the incredible and magnificent grace of God as displayed through the gospel of Jesus Christ will desire to faithfully follow after Jesus Christ because he is worthy. Because he's worthy of our devotion. Because he's worthy of our lives. Because he has treated us as we don't deserve, he's showered us with generosity. So God desires those who who serve Him out of gratitude and not out of a sense of entitlement. So as we step back and look at the big picture of what Jesus was communicating through this particular parable. I think we learn that even though we are bent toward pride. God's abundant grace ought to motivate us to serve Him out of gratitude and love even though we are bent toward pride, we have a natural proclivity, a natural tendency toward pride, God's abundant grace ought to motivate us, move us, compel us to serve Him out of gratitude and love for who He is and what He has done. But before we simply tie that little statement up as a, neat way of understanding this parable and put it on the shelf as if we've mastered it. Let's think about how this intersects with our lives today. What does this mean for us today? How can we apply the truths of this passage the way that we live today? I want to give you several ways that we can begin to do that. Firstly, let's repent of self-centered obedience. Repent of self-centered obedience. This is legalism. This is outwardly showing devotion and obedience to Christ without any inward heart transformation. And Jesus desires a heart transformation that is committed to Him, that recognizes who He is and responds accordingly. So let's repent of any and every indication of self-centered obedience in our walk with the Lord, whether it's for the approval of Of our God or approval in the eyes of someone else. Let's repent of it. Because even though we are bent toward pride. God's abundant grace ought to motivate us. To serve him. Out of gratitude and love. Secondly let's cherish. Serving the gracious. Master. Cherish serving. The gracious. Master. Those that are. Truly forgiven, those that recognize what they've been forgiven from because they've repented of their sin and turned to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration, ought to be characterized by a joy that is not available any other way. And the ones in this parable of the workers in the vineyard that were hired at the start of the day weren't able to enjoy working for the landlord because they were too consumed. With making sure that others weren't treated better than they were. Let's not make that mistake. Let's cherish living for and serving, giving lives for our Savior because He's a good God, because He is worthy. Let's have an attitude of of worship and praise directed at Him in all we do. Attitude of worship through obedience. Worship through devotion. Worship through faithfulness to Him. Even though we have a bent toward pride, God's abundant grace ought to motivate us to serve Him out of gratitude and love. Thirdly, let's adopt a kingdom of God perspective. Adopt a kingdom of God perspective. As those who are part of God's kingdom, as his children, as heirs in that kingdom, according to Scripture, we need to begin to think like the king of that kingdom. And that means abandoning a self centered mentality and outlook on life. And not only. Showing great compassion and mercy and love for others in this world. But also desiring that they recognize and receive the same grace and compassion and mercy that we have received from God. Let's begin to look at the world through a gospel lens of grace. There's no place for competition. There's no place for envy. There's no place for greed. There's no place for pride in the kingdom of God. And lastly, let's praise God because He is exceedingly generous. Praise God that He is exceedingly generous. So is God unfairly generous? Perhaps from a worldly perspective and way of view in life, but not from a biblical perspective in which all of us receive far, far more than we deserve. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that those who have trusted in Christ for forgiveness of sin have experienced God lavishing His grace on them. If God has lavished, poured, dumped, Showered his grace on you. Then he deserves great praise. God is an exceedingly generous God. And he is worthy. Of our praise. Amen. I know in. Our culture. It's much more acceptable for us to get excited in some other atmospheres, particularly at a football game. But this is something to get excited about. And we serve a good and gracious and loving God. So let's praise Him together now for who He is. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for speaking to us through it. We thank You for the truths that are found in it. Lord, I pray that We would see and understand your grace today. Lord, that we would respond to your grace today in all of our lives. Lord, that we would respond by praising you. We would respond by exalting Christ. That we would be devoted followers of Jesus Christ, the only worthy lamb who was slain on our behalf, in our place. And Lord, we thank you for your generosity toward us. May we be a people that are characterized by generosity, because of your generosity. Lord, lead us now as we seek to be found faithful to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.